from the Carter Subaru Studios, this is the G and Ursula Show with G. Scott and Ursula Voitine. Yesterday, we asked you to describe our co-host, who's going to be co-hosting with us the rest of the week. We asked you to describe Mike Lewis. I called Mike Lasagna. Yes. Chef called him Meatloaf. Yes. So, at 9.45 today, we will read your text. You still have time to roast the host. And you can expand <laughs> beyond food descriptions. Y- y- yes, you can. I would encourage you yes, to. Yes, yes, yes. There were some what kind people- of animal is Mike, you know? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So, here's, I'm going to give you a simple text prompt. Mike Lewis is, and you can just describe Mike Lewis. A lot of people text in and says, hey, Mike Lewis is really awesome. He's great. I realize I opened the door to this, but you guys are enjoying this a little more than I anticipated. Right, right. 888-973-5476. At 945 today, Chef, you going to collect those texts? Oh, yeah. You collect the text. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mike Lewis is. And so we're going to be doing that at 945. Mike Lewis is here. Chef is here. Brother Nick, good morning, bro. Good morning, man. Allie Tacoma said, did you say Magic Mike. All right, let's get to it. <laughs> top, top stories of the day brought to you by Wastecar 40, Suzu and Auburn. Three homeless individuals are suing the city of Burien over the city's homeless camping ban, claiming the ordinance violates the Washington State Constitution. Scott Crane with the Northwest Justice Project is representing the plaintiffs. He tells Fox 13. It's cruel punishment to say to somebody you can't cook outside, you can't set your stuff down, you can't protect yourself from the elements during the daytime. The lawsuit cites the lack of shelter in Burien and alleges the three plaintiffs were forced to move without being offered shelter. Allison Isinger is the director of the Seattle King County Coalition on Homelessness that helped put together the lawsuit. It's pretty clear that this is an attempt to banish people and to criminalize them for the, the fact of their existence in public spaces. G, under Burien's ordinance, someone is guilty of a misdemeanor for unlawful public camping if they're found living or sleeping in public between 7 p.m. and 6 a.m. We can't keep doing this. Keep trying to do some of the same things. Look, if you don't have a space for those that are unhoused to go, then you can't make it illegal for someone to be unhoused to camp on public setting and grounds. So it's not really that hard. Now, I guess this is going to come down to precedent. It's going to come down to the decisions, what, what has happened in Idaho. And Mike, I know you can talk more about that. I can't remember. Where did they decide in Idaho with that? So this is Martin v. Boise, City of Boise. And this was a case involving the city rousting somebody who was sleeping on a sidewalk. Uh-huh. Uh, that case went all the way to the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, or rather district court, federal district court. They, it was determined that you cannot, a, city, a municipality cannot roust someone on public property. Private property is a different matter entirely. On public property, if you do not provide them an alternative place. In other words, it's denying someone the right to sleep. So what cities have done, I mean, this is cities have responded to this in a variety of ways. Most of them not clear on what their legal authority is to clear an encampment, as you're seeing all over Seattle right now under the Herald administration. Burien has done a lot of clearing as well. And so that's what I mean, when that decision came down at the at the at the uh, uh, district court level, it was very, very clear that at some point this was going to there was going to be a challenge both both against state constitutions and primarily at a federal level on whether or not cities what level of, of authority cities do have to clear uh, encampments. And so this was actually, I mean, while while the, the 
technically the litigants, the plaintiffs are three homeless people in Burien. It's being handled by the Northwest Justice Project, and they and them and other homeless advocacy and unhoused advocacy groups have been looking for that test case. So this is going to be one of probably a series of. of Lawsuits against states and against the against the uh, uh, federal decision that's going to try to determine what authority cities do have for clearing someone when they're not providing an alternative. And I think in Burien, it's even more acute. And it, and it's in a weird way most likely to have come from a town like Burien because smaller cities like Burien, mm-hmm. uh, for better or worse, frequently don't provide much by way of services. Mm-hmm. So there really isn't in those cases an alternative. In Seattle, sometimes people are getting swept, and there are actually beds available in town. It doesn't happen much in Burien, and so that was the most likely one to sort of find out where we legally stand on clearing this kind of stuff. If that makes sense. There you go. Okay. I just one quick note on this. I find it crazy that this entire time a number of cities have basically done nothing about the homeless problem because they've been more worried about being sued by homeless people than enacting any kind of ordinance. But let's go ahead and move on. It's cruel punishment to say to somebody you can't cook outside, you can't set your stuff. Wrong cut. Okay, moving on to the Seattle City Council president who wants more money for Seattle police officers and tax breaks for businesses. Sarah Nelson tells Como 4 News that SPD officers will have a more positive work environment under new leadership. I think the thing that will uh, that will change is that our officers will see that there's a new council. And Nelson says she'll work to complete a new contract with the Seattle Police Guild. We have to make sure that the salaries are competitive so that we don't lose more officers to neighboring jurisdictions. Gee, your thoughts. More cash for cops? First, let me start off by saying I do like the energy of the new Seattle City Council. I think that it reminds me of uh, sometimes, you know, people always like to tend to say, hey, you need to have experience, experience here, experience there in order for you to do these jobs. When also... A lot of times my belief is is you just need to have want to. I believe there is a lot of inexperience on this council, and but I also believe that there is a lot of want to. And sorry for this drawn-out answer, Chef, but I wanted to just set this part of it up. Again, I repeat, I love the energy of this Seattle City Council. I also like the fact that they are coming out and they are showing support of SPD. I think that that is a good thing because people that live in Seattle and that don't live in Seattle, we can all agree that public safety is an issue, is a concern for others. So for everybody to work together would be great. Now, Sarah Nelson in this deal also said, who is the new president of the Seattle City Council? She says, we have not focused enough on our spending. I believe that that is an issue. Our revenue has grown faster than inflation and population since 2017. Our expenses have grown faster. So as she's commenting on that, Mike, she's also saying, oh, by the way, the law enforcement, SPD, they need some raises. So Chef went and did this and brought this uh, uh Stuff to me. In 2015, if you guys want to go to the SPD budget, in 2015, the SPD budget was $293 million. At the time, there were 1,349 officers. In 2019, just four years later, the budget went up to $398 million, 
with officers consisting of 1,369 officers. So from 2015 to 2019, they had 20 more officers, and the budget for SPD went up $100 million. In 2023, as of August 31st, the budget was $370 million, and law enforcement officers were 937. So I guess my question to everybody is this. Are SPD police officers underpaid here in this city? Is there a problem with money, Mike? I got an answer for you. So let me read you some salary data. And this is from about three years ago. So rest assured, it's higher now. Three years ago, 80 people within the Seattle Police Department uh, and this is roughly at the same numbers. There, the 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 staffing level uh, is a, is is lower now than it was then. Okay, uh, but not much. Eighty people in the department were making two hundred k plus. In 80, two, 80, people. Eighty people. Okay, another hundred and fifty people were making one hundred and fifty k, one hundred fifty thousand plus. Another eleven hundred people. Now we're de- we're dealing with the entire allotment. We're making. <laughs> We're making 100K plus. So, Mike, to your point and the budget, they're not underpaid. They're not. Now, the starting salary officially, if you look on the website, is about, I think, between 74 and 80K, $80,000 a year. But the overtime opportunities, as any couple tell you, are, are numerous. You should be able to, in your first year, be pulling down between 95 and 100K With if you get. And that's, not, and that's just not overtime. There's also the ancillary stuff that's not official department. Um, there is the security company that the union runs separate <laughs> from SPD, where you can make very good money. There is also parking control, where you can make very good money on the side, and many officers choose to do that as well. There is no reason as a starting officer in Seattle, if you don't put in your time, you can't make better than 100 k which a lot of jobs in this town, you can't say that to. So do they need a raise? No. What incentive do they need? I mean, the, the good relationship, I think, is great. The fact that they're stating publicly they support cops, great. You and I agree on that 100%. I don't know why they don't think about maybe it's not a salary question. Why don't they if they want to subsidize something, they want to do something that's going to, I think, improve policing and community in Seattle, provide some sort of housing incentive for cops to actually live in Seattle, because the percentage and you get folks feel free to text in and let us know. If you're a cop and you have any of this data, but I'd be very, I know it's very low. The percentage of cops who live in Seattle who are Seattle police officers is exceptionally low. Mm. Most of the time it's on the south side. So why not give them an incentive to live in the neighborhoods where they are patrolling? It just makes sense. I mean, there is no data that suggests this is not a good thing and a lot of data that suggests it's a dynamite thing. But that's not what we're doing here. One thing I'm not going to do is I'm not going to say that someone does not deserve a raise. I'm not going to do that, y'all guys. I'm very consistent on that. I want people to get their money. So what I'm going to say right now is not a shot specifically at an individual police officer. What I'm going to say is, and I'm going to ask all of us, is this. Okay, I just gave you all an example of how there was a $100 million difference from 2015 to 2019. Now, right now, it's under, it's at $370 million is the budget. So my question is this. We talk about budgets and wanting to see results all the time. One of the case in point is homelessness. We talk about that, right? You guys want to see. We want to see results. So right now, there's, uh, as of August 31st of 2023, for we for people, 
if public safety is a concern, which we can all agree, yes, that it is. There's 937 officers as of August 31st, 2023. Are we saying that more money increasing the budget would make SPD have more officers? Because I think that that would be, I don't think many people are really worried about individual officers in their pay. I think most people are worried about what can this do for Seattle? And so, if it's 937 officers then, increasing the budget and the pay, are we saying that, yes, G, that will increase the amount of officers here in this town? The the issue, I mean, I would call the union and Mike Solon on this, and I'm not suggesting uh, he does a great job representing his union. He's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. But I would say, look, if you guys are saying that the reason cops are leaving is morale, they're saying it more than they're not saying about pay. They're saying morale. If this is the problem, and we are, if for some reason Tacoma is paying more, all right, then you got to match salaries or provide bonuses or something, or Burian's paying more, whatever. But if if the reason is morale and relationship with the city, work on that. I agree with you. I'm not sure we need to pour more money into this. It appears to me that we're pouring adequate money into it right now, and so maybe that's the messaging. But that's not the messaging coming from City Council. Sound Transit is considering adding fare gates or turnstiles to counter rampant fare evasion. The Seattle Times reports that for every two passengers who pay for their light rail trips in Seattle, at least one more skips the fare. This year, the Sound Transit Board will be presented with a briefing on fare gates. A draft report estimates it would cost about $104 million to place those gates at 26 light rail stations. Gee, Sound Transit shifted from those fare ambassadors to fare enforcement in November but fare evaders still only get a $50 ticket on their third violation. <laughs> this is, uh, okay, when I hear you say that, Brother Chef, this is what I hear. You say, you gave me, you gave us a number. You said $104 million, yep. right? This is what I hear. I hear, first, it ain't going to be $104 million. Second, it's not going to be here within five to ten years. Third, the, pro- the price is probably going to be about $200 million because, of, oops, we made a mistake. We underestimated the cost of what it would be. Overall, I cannot believe how hard it is to just come up with a simple solution to which that you go on the East Coast, you, get, you know what, you go to New York, you cannot go through to get to the gate because there's something that will not, it won't turn unless you pay. It's not rocket science. Why is this so hard, Mike? I I don't know. I mean, there, there, that argument was actually pitched when they opened up light rail. There had been a trend in light rail systems all over the country, Vancouver, B.C., Minneapolis, a variety of cities, to just do this. What actually works in Germany is this, you know, honor system on tickets. There, weirdly enough, the fine is, is insanely high. If you're on the, what is it called, the U-Bahn? In yeah. in in Germany, if you're on a city light rail system, say in a city like Munich, it's like a two hundred dollar. It was a two hundred dollar fine years ago. Now, I mean, so you've got to make the fine worth it. To and if you run into someone and they can show financial um, distress that they can't pay this fine, then fine, excuse the fine after the fact. Mm-hmm. But give people the ticket every time and watch. When we had, you know, what the ridership in in the Seattle Times story, Mike Lindblom story, you know what the ridership pay rate was in 2010. 95%. 95%. And then what do we do? We we stopped enforcing that and now we're at <laughs> 66. Something like that, right? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 pretty clear what the what the cause and effect here. Enforce it.
This is this is crazy. How how would it be like four million dollars to install a fair gate? That's like the cost of building eight houses. Yeah. For a gate. No. To let people through and prove they've paid. Yeah. <laughs> what? Well, and also you need to build that gate high enough so you know the anti hurdling height. I don't know what that right. is yes. right now. Yeah. Check yeah. the I don't know what the average vertical leap is of people in Seattle. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully they build it high enough so we can't hurdle that thing. I'm still thinking about our conversation about the SPD budget. And yeah. so I think what would help me out is I want to ask you, the listeners, on the Muckleshoot Casino Resort text line. Simple question. Yes, we have seen SPD leave. And if you think that SPD, they're leaving, what's the reason? Is it either A, money, or B, morale? I want to hear from you, and we learn a lot from this, and maybe we can bring this topic up later, because I'm just curious. And maybe you're an SPD officer, former or current, and you have an answer to that. Please text us. You'll remain anonymous. I I just want to find out what would be the reason that you believe SPD is leaving. Is it money, or is it morale? Pretty curious. At 947, we still need to hear from you. At 940, it was going to be Mike Lewis is... Uh. And by the way, some have come in. There's been some pretty cool responses, man. People <laughs> love you, man. <laughs> but up next, Ted Beater. Ted Beater, our Cairo meteorologist, is going to come in to talk about the crazy warm winter weather, not just here, but everywhere. He discusses that next. Mike Lewis in for Ursula. It's the Gene Ursula Show. Coming up at 947, and we need to talk. Remember, I asked you at the beginning of the show, Mike Lewis is 888-973-5476. By the way, I didn't pick on this. Chef didn't either. Mike Lewis asked for this yesterday, and then Chef and I are doing our it due diligence a, and doing a I good job. We gotta find, yo, oh. I got triggered because I got... <laughs> you got triggered? I got, well, so listen. Mike listen, Lewis triggered? Why would... Uh, Why would someone? I mean, I want the listeners to to just contemplate this for a minute. If someone walked in and said, "You remind me of lasagna," what would be your response? Would you think that's great because everyone loves lasagna? Would you think like, "Huh, lasagna? That's pretty middling." I'm not sure that that's great. And then, and then someone else says, "That's wrong. That's wrong. He's not like lasagna." He's like meatloaf, and then that's not exactly. That's I would say that's not exactly a promotion. I would I would argue that maybe that is a lateral shift at best. All right. Speaking of, I was our resident Cairo meteorologist Ted Beener joins us now. Good morning, brother Ted. Good morning, guys. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. I will ask you about meatloaf and lasagna towards the end of this discussion. I I can't resist. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Ted, it seems to be a crazy warm winter so far around the country. I talked to my daughter back in Cleveland. 
no snow. Everywhere you go, hardly no snow. What does this mean now? And what does this going to mean for the summertime? Because you know us brothers and sisters here in the Pacific Northwest, we needs our summer, bro. Well, I was just reading a study yesterday that, you know, we've got El Nino in play for this winter season. And not unusual that the latter part of a year heading into a El Nino winter season that the lower 48 is warmer than average. And that is exactly what we have seen not only here, but across much of the nation. So, so as far as the rest of the winter, can you can you kind of kind of help us out? I know you just said the El Nino part of it and, and everything and what's going on. Um, can you can you help us? What do, should we expect here in the Pacific Northwest? Now I'm being uh, st- greedy. I just want to know about what's happening here. What can we expect <laughs> January, February, and March here in regards to weather? All right, for those that like snow in the mountains, and that's almost all of us. We got some good news coming up. Big change in the weather pattern from what we experienced in December when we had our warmest December in several locations in Western Washington ever recorded. Uh, and that's for the entire month. The, the monthly uh, averages were just astronomical. For instance, Forks, they, they beat their monthly average temperature record by four and a half deg- or three and a half degrees. That's just usually it's by a tenth of a degree, not by that much. But back to the uh, big change, Um, big change in the weather pattern that is going to result in falling snow levels. So by the time we get to Friday and Saturday, the snow levels will be down well below the passes, 2,000, 2,500 feet. And then we have another system that will be roaring on shore early next week. We're going to have snow levels right around that 2,000 foot mark. And then after that one passes and goes inland, then we start to get a surge of cooler air coming in from the interior of western Canada. We're going to be drying out, but it's going to get cold in comparison to what we've experienced in December. And then to finish your question there, G, what about the rest of the winter season? Mm-hmm. It looks like after we get past about the middle part of January or so, uh, we start to warm up again and start to get a little bit wetter, which is good. And the overall uh, outlook as we head into March is for warmer than average temperatures. So this may be our our maybe our best chance for below average temperatures coming up in the next week or so. So given that this area, uh, the Pacific Northwest, unlike California, doesn't have as much sort of general water storage in the form of reservoirs the way you have to in California, which is obviously a much, much drier place, our, our, our reservoirs essentially are snowpack. How does that? I mean, if the if we have a light snow year, are we going to be back? Remember the I think the Seattle municipal uh, which which is Seattle. Um, Seattle Public Utilities. Utilities no, it stopped asking people. Was that, every time you'd call, they'd have, you'd have this conserve water message. And then it shut off the conserve water message out in December because we had plenty. We had a load of rain in December. What's coming up for us then if we have, if the, if the, not the rain, but the snowpack is light this year? Are we going to roll back into some sort of quasi or actual drought? That's why I'm actually looking forward to what's going to happen over the next couple of weeks by the time we get into mid-January. This is our opportunity to play big-time catch-up. 
we are running somewhere between 30 and 70 percent of average snowpack right now and the water in it is only about 30 to 60 percent of normal so we've got a long ways to catch up so in the next week or so i'm looking at hopefully seeing feet of new snow up there make a lot of progress but here's the issue to answer your question mike when we have an el nino winter we typically are warmer than average that means that our average mountain snow level is going to be higher and you have less terrain to capture snow as you go up in elevation uh, so uh, the, you know water uh, managers uh, wildfire managers etc they're keeping a very close eye on this situation we typically reach the peak of our mountain snowpack on april 1st uh, give or take a few days or weeks uh, and that is what's going to help measure what we're going to look like as we head for water supply into the summer and fall my concern is we're going to have it a below average mountain snowpack by the time we reach uh, that April 1st date. All right. One more question. And I'm, I know I may be an outlier in this, and certainly I'm an outlier in terms of the people who actually have to commute into Seattle. But my, one of my favorite things every year is when we get a good big snowstorm in Seattle. I like it. I love the fact that there is other than it doesn't apply to Cairo. I get it because we still have to come in. In fact, it's even harder to get into work and we still have to be here. But I do like the idea of one place on the planet where adults get a snow day. Are we? Do you think where if you were gambling, what would you put the odds at for Seattle actually getting one of those big snowstorms this year? It doesn't look like cards, but you can't be totally ruled out. I'm kind of looking at seeing what's going to happen next Tuesday and Wednesday. That might be an opportunity to get some lowland snow, at least into the foothills and places like the Sammamish Plateau, etc. So stay tuned. We're going to be taking a look, closer look at that as we get closer to next week. Ted Beener, you always come on and give us some good old knowledge about the weather. Give us new words to uh, think about as well. Before you go, lasagna or meatloaf? You know, both of those. Mike, this is a compliment. <laughs> it's not a backhanded compliment like you got yesterday. But like I got yesterday. <laughs> See, he understands as well. He understands. <laughs> Thank you. What do you got, Tim? I was, I was listening during that segment, so I heard all that. But um, it, they're comfort food. So, Mike, you are comfortable. <laughs> Thank you. Thank You're you. pleasant to be around. I feel right? like that's just a notch higher than just being straight. See what I'm saying? <laughs> that's what I'm saying, Ted. Ted, thank you for being awesome, brother. Talk to you. You're welcome, guys. All right. Hey, uh, before we talk about what's next, I want to real quick, Chef, I want to let everybody know, I asked you a question, and I said, if you believe that SPD is leaving, which we all kind of do, they're down on officers, what are the reasons? Is it either A, money, or B, morale? I'm going to tell you the results from that. The majority of you, like 90% of you, text in morale, right? Some of you text in both, with, of course, uh, morale being the main reason. A former police officer, who SPD police officer who retired in 2015 after 36 years, says, I left because of morale issues. I made en enough to live on without a lot of overtime, so money was not an issue. So, Mike, it goes back to what you said, brother. According to what people are saying, morale is the if reason. If they're asking for morale, 
give them morale. Give them. <laughs> why, why when they ask for morale, you yep, say, no oh, you said morale? How about some yep. money? Mike Lewis is. We're going to be reading those text messages next. If you haven't joined us, go ahead and text in. 888-973-5476. Mike is waiting for your answers. We do that next. It's the Gene Ursa Show. in for Ursula all week long and he joins us now and the question is Mike Lewis is with a question mark 888-973-5476 Chef has compiled all these text messages and there's been so many we're going to read through some and we're going to force Mike to read through some but I got to tell you one that just came from the 206 and this is my favorite this is my favorite you ready here we go I'm ready Mike Lewis is like hollandaise on my eggs benedict can't get enough <laughs> yo that's hollandaise it yo, because think about it first of all if you're a big eggs benedict fan like i am i'm well, huge I bet, but I'm, I'm gonna get bet you that chef is not an eggs bet in fact i bet it's something he doesn't like at all <laughs> am i wrong <laughs> so mike lewis is overly cloying and packed yeah, exactly. with cholesterol <laughs> i mean exactly i knew you did no, because he's an overthinker wait, 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 wait. who an actual who, cook. who has hollandaise on their eggs benedict and since they're eating it by saying, oh, this is packed with cholesterol. Come on, <laughs> chef. That's the same guy that will watch the national championship and say this is a big problem for, because it's a public oh, university. Dude, it's literally <laughs> butter emulsified into egg yolks. <laughs> All right. Mike Lewis, you yeah. have to read this. Here we go. All right. I, I, I know, realize I opened this door, but you're the one who threw the lasagna against the door. I'll say that okay. much. Mike Lewis is from the 253. Mike Lewis is more gorgeous than G, nearly more likable than Ursula, and smarter than Chef. But they end up with a question mark. How about an exclamation point? Do you not understand your punctuation? I think they clearly do. Melinda in Bellevue says Mike Lewis is magnificent. 480 says Mike Lewis is a genius on his reporting and commenting on today's affairs. All right, Mike. Mike Lewis is like snack mix. <laughs> Everybody likes it. People have their favorite piece. <laughs> and you can't stop eating it. <laughs> I'm telling you. Love having him on. And he has a bar, so ellipses. Yeah. Mm, how about Jay and Puel? Mike Lewis is like Bill Nye the science guy. So good at explaining <laughs> complex thoughts in childlike terms that I actually end up feeling smarter than I am. <laughs> What is, what is Jason in Port Orchard? It's like, Mike Lewis is, it's Mike Lewis, not my clueless. <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, I do kind of like that one. <laughs> yes. uh, uh, Beth, Beth and Everett says, Mike Lewis is a really good sport. 
<laughs> True, mostly. <laughs> All right, and then Edward, I think, would provide a counterpoint to that is fish head soup. <laughs> uh, Mike in a 360 says, mac and cheese is a comfort food. Plus, Mike looks like he would be nicknamed Mac. It's funny and not mean at the same time. <laughs> Amber in the 253. Mike Lewis, you are the lasagna of radio. Okay, it's better than you have a, someone who believes in this. Uh, you, you're like what husbands... What, what, Hair oh, bands. Hair, what hair husbands. What hair bands were in the 1980s. Also, what husbands were like in the 1980s. You're like what pop rocks were to the 90s. You rock my you rock my friend, and we love when you feel in. Thanks for being you. Happy New Year from Tacoma. Thank you very much. Rock. Kurt, <laughs> Kurt in the San Juan says, we think of Mike Lewis as comfort food. That's why we call him Mike Loaf. <laughs> <laughs> Robin Pialop says, at least he went with lasagna. Onions have layers. And to answer your question, Mike is Seattle. <laughs> Mike is Seattle? Come just on, like just man. like the onion. Just I really like, like Magic onion. Mike because every time that gets brought up, I just think of Mike Lewis all oiled up. <laughs> yeah. Well, <laughs> that's not the only time you think I'm of gonna, that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna take this time. Nick Nick, we got to hear from you, brother. First of all, good morning, man. Good morning. I really like the Mike Loaf one, but uh, I was thinking uh, Winnie the Pooh with a monocle because he's got the childlike approach with the monocle for the intelligence. He's really sophisticated. (laughs) The first person to make me covet the lasagna tag is you, Nick. Hey, Mike, I got to tell you, man. Every time you do the show, I seriously, I sit here and learn. I, I on purpose will go into a topic. I'll shorten what I have to say to about five to seven seconds, and I'll throw it to you. And I just watch you work your magic, man. Well, you know that's what lasagna's for. <laughs> hey, it's fun, Mike Lewis, all week long. If you're a huge Mike Lewis fan, like we all are, hey, just enjoy. It's awesome. Hey, coming up next, Chris Sullivan is going to join us. He has an update on Governor Inslee's Highways to Housing Initiative. Got to sit back. Go to you another cup of coffee or another shot of whatever you have. And come on back with us next. It is the Genosha Show.